This episode is in partnership with Gloss Genius. Made for salons and spas, Gloss Genius is the only business management and payments platform that makes it easy to grow revenue and enhance the client experience, which we are all about here on The Treatment Room. From a beautiful online booking site to powerful marketing tools and low payment processing rates, Gloss Genius empowers you to run your full salon or spa in a stylish and smart way while feeling supported at every step. For 50% off for two months, go to glossgenius.com slash sign up and enter code TTRSPRING or check the show notes for details. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast with your host, Tessa Zolli. I am here recording on my MacBook Pro. One thing about me is I love to buy the best technology so I can hopefully deliver the best possible quality, but I don't think about how these things connect together or if they're even compatible. So basically I've been realizing, listening back to a bunch of episodes and as I edit them, because I do edit them all myself, that my guests almost sound better than me and they're just recording on their computers. And I just feel so bad for that. So I'm trying to figure it out. I've ordered some Beats headphones to see if that can help, but I'm hoping the quality of this audio is decent enough to post. I am sitting here drinking my wannabe Utah (laughs) soda drink. It is a can of Zevia, which is a stevia-based soda. It's the cola without caffeine. So I do that on ice with (laughs) some of the Nut Pods hazelnut creamer, and that might not be for everybody, but I think it's kind of good and I'm kind of addicted to this combination. Shout out to all the estheticians in Utah. I know there's a lot of estes out there in Utah. Like Mallory Miles, shout out to you. I hope to visit one day and go to one of these soda shops. (laughs) But I'm so excited for today's episode. I've been wanting to do this for a while and... You might know I post a weekly question box on my Instagram at my SD Tessa. This is the place where you can chime in and submit your ideas for the show. So I love seeing those suggestions. It really helps me to create the best possible episodes. And I've been seeing a lot of questions, you know, kind of in the similar theme of career anxiety, questions about your career, questions about my career, and I'm hoping I can kind of tie it all together in one episode. And if you take nothing away from this episode but this, it is that you truly have more time than you think in life when it comes to career things, you know, family, friends, relationships, taking care of yourself, those are the things that, you know, it feels like we don't have enough time for, but we really, really should prioritize and, you know, make the most of whenever we can. But when it comes to your career, there's so much time, especially those of you who are under 30 years old, you've got plenty of time. And I really don't believe there's a right time that you need to open your business or that, you know, you should be an esthetician by. I definitely came into this career later in life and it's still possible to be successful and happy in it. So I hope that's reassuring. And also please know that your your life can change very, very quickly. So if you're not happy, you can make a change. You can switch paths. It's not, it's not the, you know, huge deal that we make it out to be sometimes. I mean, yeah, it is in a sense that you, you've got to make a lot of changes. It, it's, it's not easy, but you can do it. And if, if you're not happy... You can make those changes and you can do so at any time. 
So I want to get into some of these questions and talk more about career stuff. Before we do, as always, I'm going to suggest you head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It's the best way to support the show. It's a good energy exchange and also supports others who are struggling and need resources like this. So please rate, review, pass the show on to family, friends, loved ones, classmates, anyone who could benefit. It means so, so much. And love seeing your stories, sharing the podcast. Thank you so much. We now have 3,000 listeners, which is really, really cool. I know it's not the hugest thing ever, but it does feel like a cool group. And I would always rather have a, a small, engaged group that I feel like understands me and my heart. I would so much rather have that and keep that, hopefully, rather than just have some huge audience. That that doesn't resonate with me as much. It's It's really about having a group of people who get meaning from the show and get value from the show and people that I feel like I can connect with and we understand each other. I feel like people who listen to this podcast, we have the same heart and we understand each other. Um, okay, so let's get into the episode before I ramble on too, too much. But starting with the question, would you ever do an episode on how you got to where you are today? Yes, yes, I sure would. So I won't bore you with every single job I've had in my life, unless you guys think you would want to hear more about the different jobs I've had in my life. But I will tell you, I have changed career paths a number of times. I found aesthetics when I was 27. So I pursued a number of different things before that point. Basically, growing up, I always wanted to be a writer. I really resonated with the movie Harriet the Spy when I was younger, and I wanted to be a writer. And I think I put this identity on myself that I'm shy, I'm introverted, you know, being a writer is for me. Later in life, I fell in love with high fashion and I thought I really wanted to either be a fashion designer or just be in that world in some aspect. So I tried both of those things. I went to school for creative writing, journalism, and public relations. Definitely don't relate to aesthetics, but kind of funny. And you'll probably realize this too you know, looking back on your life, how these little things connected or helped you out in some way. Like now, even for the podcast, I work a lot with different PR agencies or publicists. And it's cool to kind of understand where they're coming from and how things work. Writing, of course, that's not really, you know, necessary to become an esthetician, but there are so many things I do in my job now, whether it's writing every paragraph of my website or, you know, writing out what exactly is on my free skin by Tessa bottles. I wrote all of that copy out myself, everything on my website. I wrote myself coming up with little slogans for my brand, names for my product. That has all just been my own genuine ideas. And it comes from that, you know, creative writing background and who, who knew, but that's just to, to tell you these different things you do in life are never a waste. They will come back and help you out in, in different ways. So never feel like a certain experience was a waste of time just because it's not, you know, exactly the end goal. I think having different experiences actually hugely valuable and ends up making you a more well-rounded person. But yeah, I grew up really, really shy to be honest, like if you were to ask friends from five or 10 years ago, you know, who would be the least likely to have a podcast or a YouTube channel, it would be me. But here we are. But I was truly so, so shy. And I think we can put, you know, certain labels on ourselves. Like I was telling you with me, you know, thinking I was meant to be a writer. And I love writing, but 
you know, we don't necessarily have to put ourselves in these boxes. And I can even remember going back to being super, super young, like elementary school. I remember my mom would put me in these plays. My mom is an actress and she loves to be on stage, to act. You know, certain people thrive with that kind of attention. I have never felt like I'm somebody who really thrives around a lot of people. I don't even think I'll have a wedding in the traditional sense. Like, I just don't love the idea of like being in the spotlight. I like what I do now, communicating and having a community of lots of people. But, you know, being in the spotlight was not something I ever aspired to, you know? And I remember being on stage in this one play. I think it was The Little Mermaid. Was it the one with Ursula? and the eels. I was an eel, basically the most supporting cast, like the most minor cast member ever. I had one line and I remember getting up on that stage and being absolutely panicked and they had to stop the play because I could not get my one line out. I was so nervous, so scared, so shy, felt like I was going to pee my pants. And the audience ultimately had to cheer me on, cheer my name, and clap for me to help me get my one line out. I did, I think I did pee my pants and then ran off stage. Like, I just remember feeling traumatized. But it just goes to show you, we can change. We can be peeing our pants on stage one moment, and you can have a podcast the next. There is no timeline. There is no right or wrong. It's really just what interests you and are you happy? So some little, you know, career milestones and stepping stones I had were number one, I started out my first, can't even call it a job. It was an internship because back in my day, (laughs) we did not have these laws that, you know, protected interns at all. It was kind of the wild west. It was very much about LinkedIn, your resume, climbing the corporate ladder. My first internship was in New York City working for a small designer. And I really thought I was going to be a fashion girly. I thought I could be a fashion writer and just start off working for a designer. I quickly learned my personality is not cut out for that. I don't think I'm cut out for New York in general. I did not, did not do well in that environment that was, you know, so hustle focused and, you know, kind of really about the grind and, and who, you know, and that's kind of just the reality of New York, but came back to California, ended up having a bunch more internships in Orange County and Los Angeles. I worked for newspapers. I worked for other designers, fashion and jewelry designers, worked for NBC Universal as an intern, eventually got my first job in PR in Los Angeles. That was also a nightmare. And I'm just telling you guys this because at each of these jobs, I felt so not good enough, so kind of incompetent, and I always had to kind of prove myself. And fashion PR, let me tell you, is pretty cutthroat. You've got to be able to juggle a lot, communicate with a lot of people, form relationships, be slightly aggressive, and really be organized and on top of a lot of different projects and brands you're working with. I didn't have a good experience working in beauty PR and it just wasn't for me, but all of these things were very, very discouraging. And when you're not perfect in a job at a young age, you can start to feel like I'm never going to be good enough. You know, why do I even try? And I think LA especially, like, again, this was kind of a a lawless time where interns and assistants would get pens thrown at their heads and it was just very intense. So eventually I ended up leaving the PR world, 
and I got my second real job, still very low paying. I think I went from $15 an hour to $22 an hour working for a magazine called The Hollywood Reporter. It is a film industry publication. I had gone to film school and I still really enjoy film and love film and was really curious about that world. I've always been really fascinated with red carpets and the glamour and magazines I I do love. And they were also very pivotal for me growing up. And that's where I got a lot of ideas about beauty and skincare and Yeah, I started working for this magazine and social media. It was an incredible experience. I probably didn't even deserve it at the time. I mean, I was coming face to face with all the A-list celebrities, helping with interviews, taking their pictures for social media, getting clips, and just being exposed to a different world of traveling to film festivals, going on red carpets, and just a really high caliber of people. And I really valued that at the time. I loved the glamour. I loved the ideas of working with celebrities. And I was just really, really drawn to it. I worked at The Hollywood Reporter for a few years and eventually got my last job in the corporate world that I have ever had, which was at E! News. And I worked as a social media manager, helping with their content, basically writing captions for Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That was basically it, managing those social channels. And, you know, the the thing I don't miss about news is that feeling that everything is so immediate. Every little celebrity story is breaking news and you really have to love it. And at the time I liked it, but I always had this feeling like something is missing. Like no matter what celebrity is wearing, you know, the the jewelry I represent or the brand, you know, my agency works with, or no matter how snappy the tweet is or the Instagram caption, no matter how good the picture is, I felt kind of empty when I got home at the end of the day and I'd close my computer and you'd have to keep your phone out in case a story broke so you could jump on Twitter. (laughs) And that's just how, how news is. But I think I just got to a breaking point and I think most of us know where we're in a job and it's just not tenable. It's not sustainable forever. And there were a lot of signs of burnout that I ignored and and pushed away. And I kept trying to almost fit this square peg into a round hole. And I wanted it to work so, so badly. Coincidentally, at the time I had gotten a facial. I actually didn't have acne at all. It was not a struggle of mine. Funnily, Funnily enough, you know, I was, using, you know, more Sephora type products, but I had gone and got a facial. I was always attracted to skin and I had always really had good skin, naturally good skin. But I got a facial at that time at the Tata Harper Spa in San Francisco, where I'm actually from. I'm from San Francisco. And I had flown home for a weekend, gotten a facial and my life changed in that facial. I left feeling like I have to do that. And I had no idea what an esthetician was until I really stepped into that facial. I think I'd kind of heard the word and I'd heard of Renee Rouleau, Shani Darden. I probably couldn't have told you the difference between a dermatologist and an esthetician. I just, you know, knew facialists were kind of a thing and didn't even know what facials were for, but I got one. And I just remember being so captivated by my esthetician. I thought it was so cool that she knew about all these ingredients, what she was applying to my skin and why. And 
I left that facial feeling like my skin has never looked so glassy. And this is amazing to put this feeling in somebody where you almost feel like a superhero. You feel so good about yourself. And I think it was also just the peace and relaxation and and confidence in her care that she instilled in me without me, you know, even knowing it. She was just so happy to answer any questions. She made me feel safe and comfortable. She made me feel cared for. And I think that's kind of what I had been missing. Self-care started, you know, getting so much popularity and and it's a term that we know is important nowadays, which I think really just refers to nourishing the self. But self-care just had not been a thing. Again, it was very much a hustle culture of climbing, climbing to the top, being more impressive than the person next to you. And I'm sure a lot of college students still feel that way. It's so much pressure and there's so much uncertainty about the future and your parents are always asking you, what are you going to do with your life? (laughs) You know, my parents would ask me that all the time and I would get so frustrated because I didn't know for sure. But how can you know for sure? You know, I think there are a few people who really know. Some people know they want to be a certain thing and that's amazing, but a lot of us don't and that's also okay. So anyhow, I had gotten this facial and, you know, kind of as crazy as it sounds, flew back on the plane to LA and I could not stop thinking about it. And simultaneously, I was just starting to not feel happy in this job. I also remember sitting in my desk, sitting at my chair at E. And by the way, I had a great experience there. I got really close with my coworkers. One of my coworkers, two of them are actually now my clients, which is kind of crazy. But we all got really close. It was cool because everyone was kind of a similar age. It was a young group of people. And it was a fun place to work, a really cool opportunity. And just a fun, a fun job to have in LA for sure. But I remember sitting at my desk and looking at my manager and looking at her manager and thinking, I would never, never want their jobs. I don't want to do it. Don't sign me up. I wouldn't want to manage other people. I wouldn't want to have to answer to corporate, corporate. I just could not picture myself doing that. And I think I knew in what I was doing, you know, manning the social media, I could not see myself doing that forever. There were definitely people at E who were so made for it, so good at it. I was good at it, but pop culture, I think, wasn't pulsing through my veins the way it was for other people. And on a certain level with, you know, whatever you're doing, you, you do want that that passion. And I think over time, it just started to fade and the shine started to wear off for me. And I just remember feeling like there was nowhere really else to go. And I got a question in the question box that was asking, how do you know, like, how do you know when it's time to leave? And I feel like you just know, and you don't have to wait for it to get to that point of a breakdown or things ending badly or, you know, your mental health deteriorating, but if you don't feel like a job is sustainable, you're not super happy in it, and there is a way to get out of it, which, you know, in a sense, there, there kind of always is. I know it's not easy, but I don't think anyone should ever feel stuck. And I think I also used to stick to this rule that you have to stay in a job for a certain number of years. And I think it's just kind of not true at all. You know, I don't believe in forcing forcing a certain timeline if you are not happy, you know? So ultimately, I decided to leave my job at E. I was lucky in that my, my dad is actually a small business owner. And I think I knew my time in LA was just coming to a close. I love it so much. It's still one of my favorite places, but... 
I was really feeling a call towards home. So eventually I moved home. I started working for my dad. I also wanted that to be a fit. My dad manages an apartment complex and it's our family owned business. So I worked for my dad. I actually did his social media for a little while. And it looking back in retrospect, it was kind of just the in-between job that I needed. I wanted it to be the next step and make him proud and make him happy, but it also wasn't for me ultimately. And I think I was meant to create my own path. And for me, I do think I was meant to work for myself in a sense. And I never saw that coming. My dad is also very entrepreneurial. He was a landscape architect. He worked at a plant store, eventually was given a loan and able to buy the plant store. From there, he was able to buy this building that he manages now and build a good life for for himself and, and for us. And I wanted to contribute to that legacy. I think as soon as I started working for my dad and anybody who is having a hard time working for their family, my heart goes out to you because it's so hard. You don't want to disappoint them. You, you know, want, you want to make them happy, but you ultimately have to make yourself happy. So while I was working for my dad, I think I started to realize I'm somebody who has to do what they love. You know, for some people, I think they have more flexibility. Maybe they can do something their heart is not in 100% and they can come home and have other passions. And I think that's totally cool. But for me, I think passion and creativity is so instilled in me. I kind of have to follow that. So I told my dad, you know, I've been thinking about this facial I got. I think it'd be kind of cool. Apparently it's called an esthetician. And that's when I decided to go to school, pursue aesthetics. I ended up starting a YouTube channel at the time where I was filming makeup videos. I was really in love with makeup. And that was kind of the big thing on YouTube at the time was makeup videos. So I thought, why don't I try? Well, I wasn't great at makeup. I'm still not very good at it. So it was just, you know, something that that got me kind of thinking creatively. It was an outlet and I just started getting more comfortable on camera while going to school. I never like thought school would be the basis of my channel, but I started doing these vlogs and I would go to school and I started to get really into school and I started to share what I was learning documenting the journey, as I always say, and, you know, started to to just really, really like it. And even though my audience was small, like I remember what a struggle it was to get to 30 subscribers and then 100. And just feeling the momentum of it all is something I've never felt in my life. And from there, I had two different spa jobs, uh, both of which taught me a lot, but that were just ultimately not my forever place. So I worked in spas for about three years cumulatively. Two and a half, three, we ended up getting into the pandemic and that was the push for me to leave my job. So it was a really easy transition in that sense. I mean, it was still hard to leave and I still felt indebted and bad about leaving, but COVID was essentially a, you know, a, a thing that I think pushed a lot of people out of that transition period, got us thinking about, you know, our ultimate highest good. And it got me thinking that's when my virtual practice was born. So it was kind of a string of events and the virtual practice was born very organically Of course, we were all at home looking at our skin. People weren't able to get into spas. So I had a few DMs from people who followed my pages and just knew I loved talking about this stuff. I had people asking, can you help me with my skin? I'm really struggling. That's when I started to get on FaceTime with people and just help them. But I realized I needed systems in place to be able to help them and to help them 
long-term. And I think I always knew that, which is kind of cool, but it ended up helping me develop this process in which I could work with people virtually. So it started with a few acquaintances. Ultimately, they you know, passed my service on to their kids or their friends, family, and it has grown to a larger business now. I'm currently not accepting new clients, at least for the month of May, until I can kind of see how things pan out. It's tricky because you always want to leave space for your existing clientele to book follow-up appointments with you. So I am now realizing that, of course, has to be the priority. So I don't have as much room to take on new people, but it's, it's, just a testament to the fact that virtual consultations can work. And from there, it's really put me in a a good position that I'm just really, really happy with. I love the flexibility of my life. I love being able to connect with people all over. I love as a person with a compromised immune system that I don't have to beat my body into the ground, you know, even just working a couple facials, uh, a couple days a week doing facials was really, really hard on me. So I feel fortunate that I'm in this position now where I can educate on social media. I can work with clients one-on-one. I can help them transform their skin and get it back to homeostasis and a healthy place. And I now have my product line, which came about from basically realizing there wasn't a system that I could offer my clients that was effectively going to remove makeup that would be safe for all skin types. And I see so many, so many skin types and so many people with high levels of inflammation. So that's where Free Skin by Tessa was born out of a desire to kind of remake the cleansing process to change the idea that cleansing has to be this disruptive habit that you can only do once a day. I wanted to use that process to restore the skin and to help any skin type set their skin up for success first thing in the morning or to prepare the foundation for skin health at night with their other active products. So that is a little summary of what I do now. And that's been a long 30 minutes of talking. So that is a little bit about my career story. And yeah, let's move on to the next question. How long until you started netting in the green is the next question. So I want to be clear that I don't own a virtual space or I don't own a brick and mortar space. I'm only virtual. So essentially for me, I started, I started in the green as a virtual esthetician, which is just something to think about. I don't know if it's for everyone, but I do think all estheticians should consider offering virtual services. It just adds so much flexibility to your life and to be able to, you know, maybe perhaps combine combine that with services or just add it as an extension of your services to clients who need help with home care, which everyone does. And we don't always have the time during a treatment. And to be able to offer that to people outside of your immediate area is just a beautiful opportunity. So, you know, I did not know what this was going to become. I wasn't thinking I'm, you know, going to be so successful with this. I think I hoped for that, but I just started, you know, taking taking friends and family during the pandemic and they paid me $50 for the consultation and then they paid for their products. I actually wasn't even working with any brands per se, so I was not earning commission on the products in the beginning, which I don't recommend. I think it's better to work with brands, know them inside and out, have training materials and resources and to earn the commission because you earned it. 
but that's how I started. And you know, that $50, it was mine. It wasn't a ton, but it was mine. I wasn't paying outside of my, you know, the apartment I live in, I wasn't paying for a separate room or anything like that, you know, and the startup cost for working as a virtual esthetician is very, very low. So that's something to think about. All I needed was my phone and a system to store notes. And thankfully, brands offer drop shipping these days. So you don't necessarily need to invest in any retail. So it's just something to think about. When it comes to Free Skin by Tessa, that is another story. It was quite the investment. Thousands of dollars went into the design and purchasing of my formulas. So that was a different story. And I'm now out of the red, which is great. And that is now a foundation once I put that money into the branding, making sure I love that. That was really important to me and I could have spent less, but it was really important to me and I wanted it to look custom. I wanted it to look professional. I didn't just want to go on Canva and and make it myself, which a lot of people do and there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanted it to have more personalization and I wanted to work with really good people that I actually know from E who helped me design the labels. So that was different, but I'm now out of the red and I'm able to retail a little bit every single day. So that feels good. How do you shake the the scared feeling of going solo? So I'll speak from my experience first. I think the scariest part for me actually was leaving the spa I was working at. And I think if you are a people pleaser and, you know, you live your whole life like trying to be good and putting so much emphasis on impressing your boss and being a good employee, it was mentally challenging for me to leave that and not feel guilty about that, but it was kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. You just have to do it. That is what scared me the most. And I didn't look at it again as, you know, I didn't put so much pressure on the business, which I think is a difference between virtual and having a physical space. There's more expectation and pressure involved when you're signing a lease and you have to buy all these products and, you know, you are open to the public. I cannot believe I'm saying this. It is a total dream collaboration come true. Today's episode is in partnership with Nutribullet, the easy to use, easy to clean, affordable blender. Smoothies are so near and dear to my heart because making them was really the first action step that I took on my health journey. Starting in high school, before I even stepped foot in a gym, I started making smoothies. And that habit has stuck with me. I'm now 31 years old. I make a smoothie every single day, sometimes two. And I really think enjoying that process is key to having longevity with your healthy habits. The Nutribullet Blender Combo is the most versatile Nutribullet, and this thing is sweet, you guys. It allows you to effortlessly switch between a single-serve or full-size blending option. From smoothies and protein shakes to savory soups and dips, Nutribullet's signature blending process transforms high-fiber fruits, veggies, nuts, and seeds into silky perfection. As an esthetician and nutrition coach in training, I love how nutrient-dense smoothies can be. You can really pack a lot of antioxidants, fiber you don't get from juice, greens, and protein into a delicious 
on-the-go meal option. Smoothies are also affordable. Nutribullets dietitians have estimated that it costs only $1.60 to make a smoothie in your own home versus $7 you could spend at the store. And I know I've spent a pretty penny on some bougie smoothies. Lastly, smoothies are also easy to digest and absorb. We hear a lot about gut health and the gut-skin connection these days. The reason I love smoothies is they're already pre-digested for you. So instead of your body needing a ton of energy to break down that meal, smoothies are very easy to absorb, which means more energy for glowing skin. Don't settle for blenders that leave your smoothie filled with chunks. Go to Nutribullet.com and use promo code TTRSPRING for 20% off your order. Once again, that's Nutribullet.com and use my promo code TTRSPRING for 20% off. If you don't have a Nutribullet in your kitchen, you are missing out. So for me, I think because it evolved so naturally, I wasn't scared. It kind of just felt like a natural progression. And with time, I was able to create more systems around what I was doing and really develop and refine my process. So it's just gotten better and better over the years so that I now feel very dialed into what I'm doing. I know, you know, exactly what steps to take in each step of the process. So now it feels it feels like my normal and it was a little bit scary but also exciting. It was a little bit scary but also such a natural progression and it felt good to kind of finally be in control. So I took what I you know learned over the years and what I knew about skin and just thought of it as helping one person at a time and really just focused on those relationships. And I think because it was so new, it was so special, I just really poured myself into every single client. And I've maintained that that desire to make people happy every single day. That does not change. I have to earn, you know, my client's respect and trust every single day. So yeah, it was just very, very natural. But I think focusing on one client at a time makes it feel more natural and normal. I do interview a lot of my friends, estheticians, and business owners on this podcast because I know how important that is to other estheticians. And although it's not an experience I have, it's it's something you know, I know is so valuable to others. So I do try to interview other estheticians who've been in that position. And, you know, what I'm kind of gathering from interviewing different people like Miracle, the SD, from interviewing Rozzy Mirza, from interviewing Mallory Miles, you know, they have had different stories and I'm going to encourage you to go listen to each of their episodes because they all touch on this in a sense. But, you know, I think every person has to make these choices in a way that feels natural and normal to them. For Mallory, for example, whose episode I think is going to air after this. It's really, really good. But she talks about, you know, that transition and, and what she did to prepare herself to eventually open her own business. She started with a suite that was more manageable at the time, and it wasn't a cost that was going to make her feel so uncomfortable, you know, like having this huge lease right, you know, off the bat, I think could really put a lot of pressure on somebody. And for her, having that suite and also working another job at the same time gave her peace of mind. And she does talk about, you know, how she was really tired physically and how, how it wasn't easy to do two things at once, but, you know, it was kind of what she had to do to put herself in a better position. And eventually she realized I'm doing well in my suite. I could take 
less days working at Nordstrom, her other job, and I could put those days, you know, on my calendar and I could just work in my little suite and I could, you know, make the same amount I was making at Nordstrom. From there, she saved and saved and eventually was able to open her own space. But I think there's ways to do it that don't feel like this jump off a cliff into the wilderness, even though in a sense you are, but there's nothing wrong with baby steps and and taking small steps so that, you know, when you eventually do have your own business, you've felt prepared for it and you're not putting your whole life savings immediately on the line. I think, you know, everyone goes about goes about things differently, but I think if you can take those baby steps, it will feel more normal and natural and you know, it's hard because you hear take risks and like owning a business is taking a risk. But at the same time, you do have to be smart and prepare yourself. And in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with taking your time and taking some stepping stones to get to where you ultimately want to be. Next question. Solo SD planning on moving to a new state. What do I do with my existing clients? Great question. So the only experience I've had with this is knowing a friend who moved, actually Rosie Mirza, who's been on the podcast, she moved to Oregon and she passed on her clients to our other friend, Brooke, who was also on the podcast, she did the interior design episode, but Rosie basically transferred her clients to Brooke. So that's one way to go about it. Find a trusted friend in your area or even somebody within, you know, your suite or somebody on your block. (laughs) I'm sure they would happily take your clients and it is a nice gesture to show your clients. I'm not just up in moving and not thinking of you, you know, I'm doing my best. And of course, people will understand if you have to move. But I think, yeah, that would be nice to extend the offer and, you know, benefit another esthetician. Why not? So it's kind of a win-win. Another option I'd like to throw in there is the idea of virtual aesthetics and letting your clients know that although you might not be able to give them facials in person, if they would like, you could support them virtually. If that's something you are even interested in, you could support them by still offering maybe bi-monthly follow-ups where you can talk about their routine and their products just to make sure they're still on track. I do feel like when you put clients on a regimen, it's so personal and so personalized. And and since you already have that relationship, you already have that business, why not extend it to a a virtual relationship and help to maintain their skin, keep them happy. And it, it could be something you enjoy too. And if you already have that good positive relationship, I feel like a lot of clients could be open to that. Could even offer to give them facials virtually. Glymed makes this really easy. They have a number of facial protocols on their website. You could pick one of those, have them purchase the products or purchase samples. Fire and Ice with Is Clinical is also one I love to do virtually for some really nice results with little downtime. So I do think there are ways you could maintain the relationship if if you wanted to. I know it may not be for everyone. A lot of estheticians just want to touch skin and I understand that too, but it's an option or find somebody you know, like, and trust to pass your clients on to. Did you take out any loans to start or put anything on a credit card? So when I started my virtual business, again, the the startup cost is so low. You really just need a way to connect to your client, a computer to keep notes on, and you know maybe some headphones that was kind of it so very low startup cost if you want to work virtually so i did not take out any loans and 
when I started my skincare line, Free Skin by Tessa, I did open a, a business credit card, which I do think is smart to open a separate checking account. The moment you start another business or start purchasing supplies, have another credit card that you pay off regularly. I always pay it off every week or every two weeks just to be super on top of it. And so the balance doesn't get too high. There are so many great business credit cards. I know Alyssa K Aesthetics was actually sharing some of the ones she found through other estheticians. I use the Citibank double cash card and I really like it. I really like the cashback rewards. It seems like there are newer credit cards that may be even better that I need to explore, but I've always used Citibank and yeah, again, I know Chase Sapphire is really, really popular. There are other credit cards. If you travel frequently, that might be more popular, but I currently use the double cash card. I have a separate checking and a separate credit card that I use for my business, for free skin, you know, anything I need, any expenses, paying my graphic designer, paying my accountant, anything like that, I put on my business credit card and pay off monthly. And again, that's something I suggest you do right away. It is more confusing to try to do your taxes down the line or have somebody maintaining your books. It is more difficult to backtrack, although it can be done. It just takes more time and likely you will pay that bookkeeper for their time. So it's in your best interest to keep things as separate as possible. Again, it's not the be all end all. I had some things that were mixed initially and, you know, we figured it out. But if I were to do it over again, I would just start fresh with the biz credit card. No, I've never taken out a loan. I have had savings and basically with Tessa Skin, which is my virtual business. And I also do consulting with estheticians. I was able to save some money. And from there, I was able to put some money into free skin. Most of my expenses go to the formula and to the label design. It, it costs money to, you know, design the labels and to have that put on my bottles, which I don't do myself, that all costs money. So that was the biggest startup cost for me. And now I'm at the point where I'm slowly putting more money back into the business. I'm doing things like hiring an accountant to keep track of the, the books. I am investing in better shipping, a better like shipping packaging situation, those kind of things, you can slowly make money and then put that money back into the business, which is always a good idea. Systems for organizing your business. This is such a good question. You know, I feel like there are people out there who are way more organized than me. I'm trying to think of what I use. So for notes, Client records, I really like aesthetic record. I think that's that's a really good one. In terms of finances and that kind of thing, my best advice is to save yourself the headache, you guys, and pay somebody else to keep track of your books and your numbers. Numbers are something that gives me intense anxiety. I don't like math or numbers, I'm okay at it. But if I have to keep track of my sales and balance my books, A, I wouldn't know where to start. I would make a lot of errors and I would get frustrated. I recently hired my accountant who I actually found through my dad. So my dad and I use the same tax preparer. He has, he works within a little company that also offers like bookkeeping and, you know, 
other people within the finance realm. So you could even ask family members, people you trust, who they use for their taxes, especially if they're small business owners, they don't have to be estheticians or, you know, in the beauty realm. But I think, you know, finding somebody who understands small business can be helpful. So I found the man who does my books just through my dad. So, you know, you can totally find (laughs) these people through people you already know. Again, they don't have to be deep in the depths of aesthetics. I also know of a a financial uh, accounting company that's called Kickstart Accounting. That's great. I'll put their information in the show notes in case anyone wants to reach out. But hiring somebody to manage the numbers is the best thing I ever did. Is it expensive? Yes. I pay, I think it's $125 per hour my accountant spends on my books. You know, you might find somebody cheaper. You might find somebody who's more expensive, but I really enjoy the guy I work with. He's very nice. I trust him. He has a daughter. He's, you know, worked with family members before, so I feel more familiar. But having that off my plate has been the biggest blessing for my business. I had a complete mental breakdown this year. When it came to taxes, last year I had kept track of everything myself. And last year when I did taxes, since it was for 2019, it was just different because I am now a business owner. It just gets way more complicated and I have way more expenses than I ever did working for somebody else. You can't expense those things as far as I know. Not a tax expert again, but that was... (laughs) kind of a harrowing experience this year when I started doing my taxes. I was trying to go back through all of my credit card statements since I hadn't kept a record. And then I downloaded QuickBooks. And if you've ever downloaded QuickBooks and tried to navigate it yourself, it's not the most user-friendly. I thought I could figure it out myself. I highly recommend paying somebody to take that off your plate. Again, yes, is it expensive? Kind of. Is it the cost of doing business and doing business correctly? Yes. Should you hire out for your weaknesses? Yes. So me putting my energy, getting frustrated, frazzled, and crying because I can't figure out QuickBooks. (laughs) I spent hours, days with QuickBooks representatives would go through, you know, them not being able to figure out a certain like kink or the issue is getting all of your, you know, your transactions to transfer over to QuickBooks. Sometimes it's tricky. So I about had a mental breakdown and I get really nervous. I think as a lot of you do about tax season, there are a lot of questions about tax season. And I think there's already this overwhelming pressure to get your taxes done and do it right. And it kind of feels scary to me because it's so foreign and I like my worst fear is getting in trouble for not doing my taxes right. So again, hiring somebody out to do that and take that off my plate equals more hours I can put into genuine interactions with my clients. I can show up wholeheartedly with a full cup because I'm not frustrated about QuickBooks and ready to throw my computer off my balcony. (laughs) I use Calendly for scheduling. I use Squarespace for my inventory that tracks all my inventory. I think that's kind of it. Great, great question to end on. What to say when loved ones doubt going out on your own? Carly, this is so difficult. I could probably dedicate an entire episode to this question. This is really hard. And I'll be honest, I love my parents and my dad, especially. We have a really close relationship. He has always been, he's like a special dad because he's always been hyper involved with, you know, everything I do. He really cares And he's been like very inspirational to me throughout my career because he 
he is entrepreneurial. And, you know, when I would work in corporate jobs, even when I was working at E, I remember, you know, I had negotiated my salary to $80,000. And that was the most, that was the most money I, you know, had ever made in a job. And I was proud. I was proud to be making that. Is $80,000 a lot in Los Angeles? Unfortunately, not just by the, the standards in Los Angeles. I just looked it up. Low income in LA is considered $66,000, which is kind of crazy. I know in other states that money goes farther. But yeah, making $80,000, you're in the third tier. So it's okay. But, you know, things are expensive. And my dad has always really reiterated that to me that money is important. And, you know, it's something I've always struggled with. I've always struggled with feeling good enough. And I remember earning that $80,000 salary and him telling me just, you really need to think about this and, and figure figure it out because that's not a lot to support yourself with. And he would ask me very, very frequently, you know, if I was still happy because, you know, my income wasn't great to set me up with a lifetime of, of, you know, security. And yeah, take that for what you will, but it always kind of stuck with me. And I think I just realized like, I don't know if I do love it enough, like now that my dad was, you know, really putting pressure on me to think about my future and how I was going to support myself, like I liked it okay, but I couldn't say this is my forever passion working at E! News and doing social media, you know? So when it came to wanting to go to aesthetic school, like imagine that. I mean, I think aesthetics has also changed so much in the past few years, just financially. And I think a lot of people have the idea that it's a low paying job. And, you know, again, until recently, the numbers when you when you try to research aesthetics are so low. And I do think that's changing. I think the internet has opened up a lot more opportunity for estheticians where estheticians could be affiliates you could have a social media channel with a significant following, even having a small but engaged following on social media and being able to sell product to, to consumers virtually or to be able to scale your business or offer certain services, even waxing, for example, or lashes, and even facials. If, if you're running your own business, you, you can make good money. So I think the, the like ceiling on esthetician salary is raising. And there are so many amazing estheticians out there who illustrate the potential for us. And I think it's really, really inspiring. So I don't think there's one set salary if that's the concern about others going out on your own and also just understand your friends and family are not going to be your number one customer. I mean, it can happen, but they probably won't be. And I think that's kind of the expectation when you're first getting started because you're just thinking, I don't know anyone, like who's going to support me? It has to be my friends and family, right? And I think, you know, in the beginning, it helps to some extent, but eventually you find your tribe, you find your own people, and your friends and family are always going to view you through that lens, you know, through the relationship you already have. They may not see you, first and foremost, as a business owner, and they also may not understand this industry. I think it's you know, one of those industries that's really difficult to understand unless you are on the other side. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions and myths, and maybe that's another future episode to 
to do. But all that matters is we know as estheticians how much potential there is for estheticians nowadays. Truly, there's more opportunity than ever. And it's a really cool space to be an expert in and to be a part of. And I really feel like it's limitless in a sense. So I think it can depend on the situation, but hopefully you don't need their approval and I wouldn't let it weigh too heavy on you because, you know, their thoughts, their concerns, their worries are not a reflection of your future and your future success. That is truly all up to you. So you can prove them wrong. Honestly, when I let my dad know I was pursuing aesthetics, he always... I think kind of had the frame of mind like, oh, she's going to beauty school. She's going to try this, you know, this little skin thing. But, you know, the family business and, and you know, supporting that is probably what's going to ultimately set you up for a more stable future. And it is not, you know, it's not any longer um, – So it feels good, honestly, when you can walk away from that on your own volition and do your own thing. Like it makes me really proud to not depend on anyone else but myself. There's there's nothing to me that could be more satisfying. And again, it's not an overnight success and you, you will ultimately prove over time what you can do, but I would not put any pressure on yourself to change their minds immediately. They will probably have to see with time. And, you know, like a few years into my business, I think, you know, a lot of people, you you hear that audio on Instagram that's like big business. What's the quote? not little business, big business. And, you know, people might mock your little so-called hair salon or facial studio, but yeah, they they, doesn't mean that they're your, they're your audience per se. So I wouldn't put too much pressure on it. Instead, just focus on delivering your clients the best possible results, transformation, and experience. That in time will, I believe, make you successful if you can focus on those things. And you kind of got to go into it just thinking, I don't have anything to prove to anyone. I am choosing myself. I'm choosing what I want to do. And ultimately, that pays off so much more, choosing exactly what you want to do and liking what you do. To me, that's how you become successful versus picking a career because you think it's the right thing or it's the stable thing. I'm shocked to now be making more money than I ever did in social media or other jobs. And that was never something I could have anticipated or expected. Really, it just came from hard work and passion. And it it, it does feel really good. But again, I think focusing on the day-to-day and focusing on delivering that experience ultimately will make you successful and they'll see. So, you know, have the conversation, be open-minded, understand your parents probably want the best for you. Your friends and family probably want the best for you and this is unfamiliar to them. So they may be acting out of caution for you, but doesn't have to dictate your future. Okay. I think I'm going to wrap up the episode here at the hour mark. Thank you so much for listening to me chat and share these things. Let me know what you thought of the episode on social media. I look forward to hearing what kind of episodes you want to see next week. So be sure to look out for my question box on Instagram at my Tessa in the coming weeks. Love you guys so much. Please take care of yourself, believe in yourself, and I will talk to you next Tuesday.